Hey everybody, welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. With me today I have voice actors Colleen O'Shaughnessy, who has held many roles including Tales from Sonic, Boom, Sora from Digimon, Jazz Fenton from Danny Phantom, and Inno and Kono Hanaru <laughs> from Naruto, and countless others. So thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. And so now, many of my listeners want to know how you discovered voice acting. It's actually kind of funny. I always watched cartoons when I was a kid, and I always watched, like, The Muppet Show and anything on Disney. When I was in college, I was there for musical theater. And I would always give objects and babies and things, animals, voices. I always did it for forever. And I was doing it at the end of a class in college, and the, it was actually the end of a dance class. We were talking about a test. And my dance instructor came running over, and she looked at me, and she goes, was that you? And I said, sorry, they just come out. I'm like, Sybil, I'm sorry, I'll stop. She goes, no, you need to do voiceover. And I went, wait a minute? Like, it was like, ba-plang, ba-plang, ba-plang. Like, all the animation, all the cartoons I'd ever seen, it doesn't occur to you that that's somebody's job, that that's somebody does for their livelihood. And I'm like, oh, my God, forget theater. That's what I want to do. So, and at that point, I was like, I was almost ready to graduate, and I really didn't want to go to New York. I dabbled with the idea of going to Chicago, but that was a little too much theater. Like, I'm like, I'm fun and silly. I don't want to be so serious. So I loaded up the truck and moved to, not quite Beverly, but <laughs> I moved to California. And a friend of mine from the old neighborhood in Michigan, he, okay, wait for it, because y'all are young. They used to have these things, these plastic things called cassette tapes. I know, it sounds crazy. They were cassette tapes, and you had to put it in a little machine to hear your music. You couldn't just push a button and put your headphones in, and blam, you got all your music. Only so much music would fit on these little cassette tapes. So we owned a cassette duplication business. And at the time, to do your voiceover demos and everything, it had to be on these little cassette tapes. This was even before CDs, for God's sake. Oh, my God, I'm so old. So I started working for him, and this was actually really, really funny. He's like, yeah, come work for me. You can do graphics. I'm like, I'm sorry, what did you say? I mean, it was really typesetting, but I didn't know anything about graphics. It was on-the-job training. So any person that came in with a voiceover demo, I just picked their brain. I'm like, okay, what did you do? How did you do it? This is all I want to do. And I kind of did it from there. I did things a little bit backwards. I put together my demo before I took a class. I had taken a lot of acting classes and improv and stuff like that. But as far as voiceover in particular, I hadn't taken any voiceover classes. Luckily, my demo was pretty good. I had to edit it a couple times, but... The rest is history. I sent it out, got an agent. I had one agent that I went out like about eight times an entire year. And then I said, this is kind of silly. So I redid, sent it out again. And I've been with the next agent that I got. I've been with her ever since. There and now, is. what was your first role? My very first voiceover role was on a reporter Barbie book. Remember those books where you pushed a button and it would say something? I was Skipper on the Reporter Barbie book, and you pushed a button and said, it's fun to be a reporter. It's fun to be a reporter. And I didn't even have to go and do the job. When I did the audition, I went down to Mattel, and it is like the Pentagon over there. It, everything is top secret. They practically blindfold you and knock you out to take you to the back room to do your audition. Seriously, somebody came into the bathroom. With me. She didn't come in the stall, but she walked into the bathroom with me when I had to use the bathroom. So we went to the back, and I did my audition there, and they just used my audition, so I didn't even have to go and do the job. I ate just called me and said, hey, you booked that thing. They're just going to pay you. Cool. But my first show was The Kids from Room 402. And I played Polly McShane. She collected spoons. She went to Utah and it said Utah on it. 
She's my favorite. That was my very first show. And my very second show was Sora on Digimon, which it was my second show, but it was my very first anime dubbing job. So that was a lot of on-the-job training because I did not know what I was doing. But I faked it until I figured it out. And now many voice actors struggle to get their first job. How did you go about finding your first gigs, for lack of a better word? They say, you know, it takes 100 auditions before you book your first job. And I didn't actually do the math, but it had to have been at least that. And it's like going to a job interview for every single job that you get. I do auditions in my closet even so. Every once in a while, people that know me will call me just because they know I can do whatever they're looking for. But... That's a rare thing, and most of the time I still have to audition. So, yeah, it was really frustrating, and I was with my second agent for a long time. I would think it was, like, almost a year, and I was really frustrated because I hadn't booked anything, and I asked her if we could go to lunch so we could talk because I was like, what am I doing wrong? And she sat down with me, and she said, she called me Pumpkin. She's like, Pumpkin? She said, I listen to every audition every day at the end of the day, and if I felt like you weren't getting it, if you weren't there or whatever the potential wasn't there I would have dropped you a long time ago so I was like okay fair enough thank you uh, for not dropping me <laughs> and she said just hang in there she said I've been in this business long enough to know that you just have to stick it out and it just like you throw as much spaghetti against the wall until something sticks and then once you do book that first job then people start to get to know you and like Jamie Simone directed the Kiss from Room 402 and that was back at Saban and Digimon was there as well and you know, that was a long time ago. Now he's got his own studio. And I still work with him. He's great. Anything that he thinks I'm right for, he'll call me for. To at least audition. Because he doesn't always get to make the big decisions. But it's hard. I know. But hang in there. Because if that's what you really want to do, don't let people tell you no. Because that's how I was. They were like, no, you can't do animation. You have to do commercials first. Like, at the beginning, I didn't want to. I was like, you can't tell me what to do. I want to do animation. That's what I do. Silly little kids and characters. And my first demo, they said, you have to do commercial cards. I said, fine, I will do your commercial copy, but I will do it my way. And so I made it a commercial character demo because I was like, this is my specialty. This is what I do. And luckily it worked out. But that's what I say. Don't let people tell you no. And now let's talk about your first role, which was Polly McShane. How did that all happen for you? It was pretty crazy. So this is kind of typically what happens. They'll send you the copy. And um, back then, I think they actually gave me a piece of paper. There was no um, emailing you the copy. And I would go into my agent's office and do the audition. So, And most of the time for animation, they'll, they'll have a picture to go along with it, which helps me a lot. So I'm looking at this picture of Polly, and I'm reading the little blurb that says, you know, who she is and, you know, what her personality traits are and, and all that. And then you've got the script. And sometimes it'll just be that character's lines, but I'm pretty sure her script had, like, dialogue, so you could kind of see what was going on in between your lines. And so I just practiced it at the time I was taking this acting class. What was great about this acting class is we would have this sort of round-robin thing where we would sit at the beginning of class and say, okay, what did you do for your career this week? And so you kind of were held accountable. You couldn't just sit back and say, oh, nothing's happening. You had to do something because you had to sit there in class and say what you did. You either sent out pictures or you made phone calls or you had auditions or you worked on a monologue or whatever it was that you did to help your career that week. You had to sit there in front of the whole class and let them know what you did. So it was kind of a good motivator. And then if things were coming up, he would allow you to work on auditions. So that was one audition that I actually worked on in my acting class. So I took it out and her thing was... Maybe it wasn't a scene. I think maybe it was just a big chunky monologue. 
And part of it was this thing about spoons. I collect spoons and I like to go to Utah and this one is Utah on it. And I don't know where that voice came from. It was sort of like a character that's in my head swimming around. When I looked at her, that's what I saw. And that's what I heard. And so I worked on it in class and they were like, do that. That's funny and that's great. And so I went and did the audition at my agent's office and I got a call back. I was so nervous and I went in and I was auditioning for Jamie. And at the time, I had a pager. We did not have cell phones yet. Oh, my God, I'm so old. You know, and you turn those things off when you go into these things. And I hadn't turned my pager off. And it went off in the middle of the audition. I was mortified. I'm like, oh, my God, I finally got a callback. And I ruined it. And that's the one I got. So that's how that all happened. Even with the pager faux pas. And now, not to date yourself, but back in the day... <laughs> How, how did the entire process work with your agent and the studio and yourself? So she had, and she still does, she has a booth in her office. We would come into the office and be able to schedule you time to come in and you record there. And she's got engineers there that do the recording for you. And then if you have a callback, then you'll go to the casting office. Or if they have rented a studio for the day or if they have their own studio, you just go where they tell you. These days, I do it in my closet. I have my iPad set up and I stick it on my drawer. And I used to print the scripts out, but I was like, that's kind of wasteful. So I have my cell phone in my hand with the script on my phone and then I'm recording onto my iPad. Then I've got Twisted Wave, which is a great program and I can edit if I want to. I don't typically like to edit. I like to go through the whole thing because sometimes it sounds stilted, but with Twisted Wave, it's really easy. So if I just slubber one word, I'll go back and fix it. But most of the time I'll go back and re-record. It's pretty much the same except for the initial audition because every once in a while I will go into my agent's office because sometimes they'll want if it's a group read especially for like a commercial copy they'll want the whole group in there but it's rare I like to go in there though because it's nice to have that outside voice because in your head you're like wait a minute that sounded weird and what does that sound like and then the more you do it you overthink it and it doesn't even sound like words anymore it's pretty much the same except for the emailing of auditions and now let's jump to Digimon. How okay. did you become Sora in Digimon? Same process. Gave me the sides. I went in and auditioned. And the craziest thing, though, is like I had said before, I had never done dubbing before. You know, they're like, just wait for the three beeps. I'm like, beeps? What? I, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Now I'll give you a little lesson. So here's the difference. So Kids from Room 402 was an original animation. So... They give you the script, and back then they would messenger the script to my house. I felt so fancy. I'm like, oh my god, my script is here. It's so exciting. It had my name on it. Big Sharpie was very exciting. So they would send you the script ahead of time. Now they email you the script, which is still exciting, but not the same as getting a messenger coming to your house. That's so fancy. So you have the script ahead of time, and it's a lot more freeing. Like you can pause and make sounds and do different things whereas when you're dubbing the animation's already done so it's already set so you have to fit your English word line into what they call flaps when the mouth is moving which used to be Japanese so and Japanese doesn't always translate exactly the same amount of syllables or she closed her mouth here so we need some kind of M it's not easy I'm always exhausted at the end of an anime session so okay so I go in there and they're like just wait for the three beeps so it's like you hear three beeps and then you're supposed to hear the fourth beep in your head and that's when you're supposed to start talking because that's when the character's mouth is moving. So they'll show you a preview. Mind you, you have not gotten the script ahead of time. So you haven't read it. So you don't know what's going on. And most directors 
they'll give you a little explanation. Say, okay, in this scene, this is happening, and the Digimon are in peril, and this is that, and whatever. And you're reacting to this. So that helps a lot. But you still don't entirely know what's going on. So then they show you your little bits. They give you the beeps, and they show you a preview so you can see what's going on. And then you just got to do it. You're like, oh, God, now it's my turn. And you're hearing the Japanese in your headphones, and you're hearing these beeps. Most of the time when you start talking, they'll take the Japanese out. But when they show you the preview, the Japanese is in. I did a lot of deep breaths because I'm like, okay, first of all, please don't watch me because I don't know what my face is doing, and I'm really embarrassed right now, and I feel like I'm really not ready for this and a lot of animators a lot of saying the word huh i've said huh about every different way you can possibly say huh or a surprised reaction that's a lot of times they surprised i'm like okay is it surprised like surprise it's your birthday or is it surprised like oh my god everything's on fire that's a big difference so i need a little more context than just surprised reaction but yeah it was a lot of on the job training i really did not know what i was doing i really felt uncomfortable especially with all the effort there was a lot of action and efforts that i didn't know how to do now I do a death scene right now and i it wouldn't bother me there's this window and i'm like just don't look at the window i don't want you to watch what i'm doing because i don't I use my hands a lot as you can see and i just don't know what i'm doing with my face so i was very uncomfortable but once you do it a few times you're like oh i got this okay good i don't even need a preview let's just do it the best ones were when it said m n s mouth not seen i'm like yes does it matter? As long as it fits before it changes the picture, we're good. We had a joke in Digimon. We always said, act faster. Because you couldn't fit the line in. You had to say it really fast. That kind of changes your acting beats and all of that sort of thing. And now Sora is a unique character. How did you get into her mindset as well as, do you feel that you added anything to her character? I hope I added something. People seem to like her. I don't know. I think... The directors really help guide you a lot because, like I said, if you don't get the script ahead of time, it's really hard. Like, you know, as an actor, you try to use all those acting things, your cues. You need to know where have they been, where are they going, how do they feel about given situations. And when you're not given the script ahead of time, if you never read the whole thing, it's hard to find those moments and find those connections. So we had good directors that really helped guide us and help shape. And it also helps that it was already done in Japan. So she already had a formed character before I took her on. And so I think we Americanized it a little bit. We try to stay true to the Japanese, but at the same time, it's a balance between being true to that and also being true to an American audience that's going to have different sensibilities than a Japanese audience. So it's such a collaborative thing. I feel like we kind of all did it together. So I don't know that I can fully take responsibility for Sora. And now Digimon got a movie. It got a big movie. What was it like working on an anime movie versus the anime show? I thought it was going to be a lot different, but it's mostly the same. I mean, you're there longer because there's more content. But as far as the work itself, it's the same in that it's already finished. And so you're still doing the dubbing work. I don't know that there was pressure per se, but it felt a little more pressure just because the possibility of it being seen by so many more people <laughs> and being up on the big screen. But it was pretty much the same. We were just there longer. And the other thing is you're always there by yourself when you do anime because you can only do one person at a time. So sometimes you didn't even realize who was on the show with you. you go, oh, really? You worked on that too? Oh, because then you never see anybody unless you happen to be recording before or after them and you see them passing in the lobby. And now when you first came out to Digimon, did you know that it was going to be as big as it became? 
I had no idea. I was very unfamiliar with anime. It was my very first one. I had no idea. The the very cool, cool thing about Digimon is, so like I said, Kids from 402 is my first one. Well, when you're working on an original animation, it takes a really long time to see the product, to see it, see your voice in a character animated. With Digimon, it was like instant because the show was already made. They laid the voices over and it aired pretty quickly after we started. So that was the first one I actually got to see on TV. And that was just so crazy to hear myself coming out of her little mouth was pretty cool. And uh, you never truly left the Digimon world. You've been in other Digimon as the character Yoshi in Digimon Data Squad, as well yeah. as Angie in Digimon Fusion. What mm-hmm. is it like to voice a character outside of Sora? I kind of approach all my characters the same way. I mean, it was great to be back in the Digimon world, but I feel like all three of them were pretty different, especially Angie. I think Yoshi and Sora had some similarities. Yoshi seemed a little bit older, and she was a little more kind of take charge. Angie, I felt, was so different from both of them because she just was like, why are we here? And she got into it by the end, but... You know, she was, especially in the beginning, she was like, ah, what's happening? I just want to go home. So I, I feel like, you know, yes, they were in the Digimon realm, but I don't feel like every show is its own entity, its own thing. And every character I create for it is they're their own person, per se. <laughs> and you also had the opportunity to work on the video game of Digimon Data Squad. How did the video game differ from the anime world, if at all? It's similar in that you're there by yourself. It's different in that in the way that the script is given to you. So the script will have a lot more action because you're being given, it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure book. So they're giving you options for, okay, if the player does this, then your character's going to say this kind of thing. So you'll have like a chunk of lines that'll be, depending on the kind of game, of course. It all is a little bit different, but your character's going to say something different, maybe depending on what you end up doing in the game. So it'll be like more of a list of dialogue and individual lines as opposed to dialogue between characters. Because you might have just a one-liner blurb or the other thing, like video games will have, you get chosen as a player saying like, hi, I'm Yoshi, you can pick me, or I'm here for you, or pick me, <laughs> let's go, or whatever the thing is when you choose the character. So just depending on the type of game that it is, and I don't profess to be a gamer, so I don't always play the games that I voice, so I don't always know exactly, I'm like, all right, I'll say that if you want me to, it doesn't make any sense to me, but okay, <laughs> let's go. And usually you're doing it like, give me two in a row, or give me three in a row, and you just do it. And also sometimes, if it has been done in Japan first, it's more about timing than anything else. Say if it's just, okay, your character's jumping. Okay, so you've got like 0.2 seconds to jump. So it's like a or whatever it is. Or if it's like, you know, a punch. They want a short, medium, and long. So you have to just give different or whatever the action is. So in that way, it's different than having a script that has a continuous story. You're kind of jumping all over the place. And now in 2003, you provided additional voice work for Spirited Away. First off, what is additional voice work, or how do you define it? And then what was it like to work on Spirited Away? It was awesome. It was so much fun. So additional voices, what typically will happen is, so they're mostly finished with a feature. And they will have a group of actors come in to fill in all of the background. So, and they'll do it for live action movies as well. But for animation, what they'll do, they'll have this core group of people come in. And so anywhere there's a crowd scene or there's a lot of action in the background, they'll have us just fill all of that in. Because when you're doing the main voices, obviously you don't want to hear all of that 
other stuff. So we would go in and fill in all of the background stuff. That was so much fun. I was really lucky to get into that group because I had anime experience and the lady who was heading up the, they call it a looping group. The lady that was heading up the looping group was unfamiliar with anime. She had worked on many Disney features before, but she hadn't done anime. So she wanted some people in there that knew about anime and she needed some younger voices. So I was like, yay, that's me times two. So yeah, and the group of people that I got to work with was amazing because there were people in there that I hadn't gotten to work with before. Bob Bergen was there and a bunch of other big name animation people. Just to give you a more succinct idea. Most of the time you're doing group work, but every once in a while they'll be like, okay, we need you to be that frog over there. And then they'll have a couple different people do the frog line. And then you don't know until the movie comes out if you end up being the frog or not. But it's really fun because you just do these like round robin things. Sometimes they want you to talk about something specific that's happening in the scene. But most of the time you're just kind of talking nonsense that nobody else will hear probably. But you hear it and it ends up being really funny because people say ridiculous stuff. But it's a whole long day and you get to be on the Disney lot which is so fun. It's like walking back in time. It's always just so clean and it's right up the street from where I live, which is really nice too. And now 2004, Danny Phantom, Jazz Fenton. How did that all go down? That group record, we were like a family from the get-go. For whatever reason, you know, sometimes you get a group of people together and they just fit and we just fit. We had so much fun in those group of courts and you're at Nickelodeon, which is like going to every kid's dream playland. It's like all these bright colors and these crazy looking chairs and there's a popcorn machine and a Giardelli chocolate dispenser and there's a basketball court and putt putt in the back and it's just. Not that we played basketball, <laughs> but they're there. I mean, we could if we wanted to. And SpongeBob cutouts, and I mean, it was just so much fun. I was like on a high for the next couple of days after those sessions because it was just so much fun. Everyone was, I don't know, we all just got along so well. And recording at Nickelodeon was amazing. It was really, really fun. And Butch Hartman was fantastic to work with. And I seriously, every single person in the cast could not have been lovelier, could not have been more talented or hilarious. And we all just got along. It was great. Now, do you have any crazy stories that took place on that casting set? Gosh, crazy things on Danny Phantom. Um, or that occurred always... as a result? <laughs> Probably not anything that made it into the show that, that we did, but we we did have a lot of fun. I mean, we've got Gray Delisle in there and Rob Paulson, and it was just always so fun and so funny. Now, 2005, my favorite anime is Zatch Bell, and you were Susie on Zatch Bell. Susie! So, so really? how did you get that she role? And also, how did you portray her? Because she's kind of a klutz, but she's always cheerful and kind yeah. of not to be mean, but a moron in many ways. Like Every time we went in there, I'm like, oh, oh, poor Susie. Oh, you dear little thing. Yeah, she was just so wrong. But you loved her. You just needed to take her home because she wasn't going to make it on her own. Poor Susie. Fruit, yes! But it was so much fun because I was like, I could just be ridiculously out there and bizarre. And they're like, perfect, more of that. And I was working with Jeff Moy. He was directing. And we just loved Susie to pieces. 
Poor sweet Susie. Like, Polly's actually really smart. She's just socially awkward. Whereas Susie was both. Like, she was completely clueless that anybody knew. Poor Susie. But it was fun. And I don't know if many of my listeners know, but Jeff Nimoy worked a lot on Digimon. So yeah. how, how did that relationship affect Zatch Bell? I think towards the end, he was directing a little bit for Digimon, if I'm remembering correctly. But like I had said before... We worked on the show when I was doing voices and he was doing voices, but we didn't work together exactly. Like, we met and we knew each other, but I think our working relationship formed a lot more during Dutch Bell. So as him being a director and me in the booth, a lot different than actor-actor just because in those types of sessions, whenever you're doing anime, you're not working with the other actors, per se. You're never in the booth together ever unless you hang out and chat in the lobby you don't really get to know each other so i think the relationship definitely solidified and became more during that foul during that director actor relationship as opposed to actor actor and you also while working on that you worked on overman king gainer oh my gosh wow you're like you're stretching the memory bank wow I, I totally forgot about that one i'm so old <laughs> the uh the overlap with some of the shows, it's so funny. I just went to a convention over the weekend. And some of the anime that they pulled out, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that or video games. And the really funny thing is when I first started, believe me, I still am so excited and still so grateful for every part I get to play. But when I would go to some shows and work on them with some of these people, way more veterans than I was, and they would need a reference or they wouldn't remember something they did. And I was so baffled by that. I'm like, how could you forget? This is the best job ever. How could you possibly not remember something that you did? And then here I am. I forget. I do. Once I see it and I hear it again I go oh my gosh then it all comes flooding back like the second you said King Gain I'm like oh yeah but like right now in this moment I can't I don't totally remember and I apologize for that and so Zatch Bell Overman King Gainer overlapped as well as Nars overlapped and a bunch yeah. of other animes how do you as a voice actor remember the character pitch and your character's voice when you're doing multiple shows at once for me when I'm doing them at the same time I in the moment of it I just remember. I don't know why. I mean, every once in a while, I'll need a reference, especially if I'm doing multiple characters in the same show. Sometimes on Sonic, I'll do a couple different things, and so I'll need a reference because it'll be two girls or something, and I just need to hear what I did that was different. But in that case those anime shows I just remembered like Kona Homaru was his own guy and you know and they're so different and at that time it was not hard for me I could have had a conversation between all of them at the same time and not skip to beat I just remembered I don't know how it seems like there's something weird in my brain that just does that like maybe there's something wrong with me I don't know but I just remember and now Naruto obviously you just mentioned Kono Homaru and you know, in both Naruto and Naruto Shippuden, how did those two roles come your way? Same process. You start working with the same people, and if they're getting the shows, you know, and they say, hey, do you want to audition for this? And so almost always an audition. I'm trying to think of one that I was just, hey, take this part. <laughs> and usually if it's that, it's like a one and done. Like they need a filler for something, and they say, oh, Colleen could do it. Bring her in for that. I've done that on Sailor Moon a couple of times, which is funny. I actually got to play a couple bad guys, and I was just going to send an email because I couldn't remember their names again. I'm so bad. But with Naruto and the others, you go in, and there's like a pile of scripts and it looks like every character that they have that they want you to try is there and they'll have like female characters and male characters and they'll say okay I want you to do this one this one this one and this one and then you just do it and then I try to 
forget about. Especially in the beginning, it was really, this is the one! But you can't do that because you never know what they're looking for. Lots of times they don't know what they're looking for until they hear it. You can only control what you can do. So I try to just do it and forget about it. When I first started, every time I did an audition, I would write it down. Because once I wrote it down, then I could just walk away and I wrote the date, I wrote what it was, and then I just forgot about it. And I still do it because you can drive yourself crazy thinking, oh, I want that part, when you have no control over who they pick. So all you can do is your absolute best and hope that they like what you did. I did positive audition for every part in Naruto, and I got the two that I got, which is great. So. And now Kono Hamaru is a very emotional character in a few episodes, yeah. in particular when Thurokagi dies. How do you convey that emotion without certain tools, such as the visual and your body that's, language? I think that's the thing that people kind of don't understand about voiceover. When people will say, are you ever going to do any real acting? Like that is like, get you in the heart kind of comment to make to a voice actor. Because half of our job title is actor. I mean, that's what we do. And it's almost harder because we don't have our face or our body or anything else to convey emotion. All we have is our voice to get across what it is that the character is feeling or going through. They were really emotional, very hard sessions to get through. But like I've said before, when you have a great director working with you, it's like what they say in almost every acting class. You just have to trust it and you have to go for it. There's no doing it halfway. You have to just go for it and believe in what you're saying. You can't get across true sadness if you don't feel it in some way. So that's what I try to do. I try to feel it in a real way. And now these characters had a time skip from Naruto to Naruto, Shippuden. How did your voice change? So yeah, they were a few years older. So it's so strange to me. People ask me this. And it's hard to put into words how you know what an eight-year-old boy sounds like versus a 10-year-old boy or a 12-year-old girl versus a 14-year-old girl. It's part maturity. It's part awareness. I've done research on my kids and their friends. When we first moved into our house, the kids were little. I used to listen to the boy next door because he had a really distinct voice. And I'm like, oh, I got to steal that voice sometime because he was 10, I think, at the time. And, you know, I used to practice doing the next door neighbor kid's voice. But they tell you, okay, she's a little bit older. So then it's sometimes it's trial and error because sometimes what I think sounds like 10 or 12 or whatever age isn't what they want. So most of the time I get pretty close, but sometimes they're like, you know what, can you pitch it down a little bit or can you pitch it up so that it sounds more this or that? But yeah, I think those are the two things. It's, you know, maturity and awareness and what happens to you as you grow up. You get less silly, sadly. Except for me, I can't not be silly. And now you voice these two characters in the video games. Do you feel that voicing them in the video games and the anime and the movies kind of solidifies your name with Naruto a little bit? I think so. Every time they have Konohamaru, they call me. So those are mine. So yes, they belong to me. I hope so. I don't know. And now you've been part of Naruto. Obviously, Naruto is huge, entering my Donald Trump right there. <laughs> it's going to be a long podcast from here, everybody. <laughs> what is your favorite Naruto moment, if you have one? I love kind of the conflict between Ino and, and Sakura. I think that was always just so much fun. And some of the names that they would come up with, Billboard Brow, like that's just ridiculous. But they kind of found a common ground. Like, silly to fight over a boy, really. But that's what they did. But then I feel like as they got older, they sort of realized they kind of have to work together. And so that was kind of neat to watch them grow up. And Konohamaru, I just love him. Talk about 
silly, but not silly. You know what I mean? Like he looked up to Naruto so much and like called him boss and like anything Naruto did, he's like, yes, Naruto, you're the best. Like everyone else knew that Naruto was like kind of faking it till he made it. But Konohamaru was on board. He was his fan from day one and kind of never quit until that time they had to fight that was hard. But I think some of my favorite stuff was Konohamaru and his stuff with his grandfather. And that was just so touching for a cartoon, for an anime to go to some of those emotional places. It's kind of beautiful. And now following this, you had a role in Bleach that was kind of the opposite as Nell. Yeah. Ichiro! <laughs> Ichiro! All she did was cry. I was like, oh my god, is everybody going to hate her? She's kind of whiny. She cries in like every episode. Lots and lots of crying. Saying his name. I think I counted once. And it was like 46 times in one script. That's all she said was his name. And we'd flip the page. Oh! And now she says his name one more time. Oh my gosh, she's crying. And now her character transformed into a more promiscuous character, to put it politely. How did you change the voice in that realm? I was glad, but I was a little bit surprised, just like with everything else. Even though she's the same person, she's very different. So you just kind of have to switch your brain around. Like, she's not the crying little girl anymore, and she's got big bosoms now. And, <laughs> and again try something and if it's not close or it's not exactly what they're wanting you take the direction and yeah roll with it and now following this you became part of the slayers franchise with slayer r's and slayers r evolution they did that with stephanie shay that's so fun because she has her own i know you're laughing at me because i'm stretching my memory but stop it stop there but pretty sure it was with stephanie anyway she has her own studio in the back of her house so that's always fun to go and hang with Stephanie Shea. It's another amazing experience. I'm so lucky to do what I do, honestly. I'm so fortunate to get to work on some of these shows. I'm so lucky. Lucky girl. And also you were part of Vampire Night. What was it like to be involved in that franchise as well? I certainly at the time didn't realize the popularity or where the popularity would go. I actually found out more even this past weekend at this Comic-Con. They're like, you were on Vampire Night? I'm like, yeah. Is that a big deal? I know, and I'm so terrible. I don't know these things because once I'm out of the studio, I put on my mom hat and I'm mom. I'm not as aware. And now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm like social media all over the place these days. So I don't think of it. I don't think to do it because I don't have time. So I'm like, okay, I'm out of the studio. Seriously, I got to do laundry and I got to make dinner. And once their mom hat is on... Everything else is gone. It's just kind of weird. It's like, I lead a secret life. Vampire player by, <laughs> by day. Mom by late afternoon into the evening. So I know it sounds crazy, especially when you're a fan of these things. It sounds crazy to think that everybody else doesn't know all that stuff, but I kind of don't. And now you had the opportunity to voice act in a motion comic, Jonah Hex. What was it like? That one I remember. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you thought you were going to stop me again. That was really cool because I had never done anything like that before. So I was really thrilled to book that one because, you know, when you audition for things, you think there's no way you're going to get that one, but here's hoping. And I did, and they did a screening for us at Warner Brothers. It was so much fun. They gave me the comics, which I hadn't seen, the comics. So I have them. That was a really, really fun project to work on. So different from anything I had done before. And now staying in the superhero realm, you played Wasp on Avengers. Yes, I love, love, love her. I loved Wasp. I'm like, oh, I get to be a superhero. And that was one where I was Wasp. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't. Like, with the kind of casting went a little bit back and forth. So I thought I hadn't gotten it. 
I had two callbacks, maybe three. And I remember I was in New York visiting my brother and I was walking up Broadway. My agent called me and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm walking up Broadway. And I was like, oh, that's great. Well, I know you had the callback and then they wanted you and then weren't you? They want you to do another callback. I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm happy to do it, but I was feeling like, why? Because they seem to not really want me. <laughs> so I went in and I think they also wanted me to read for Pepper. And I was like, okay. And I really thought that they were thinking that I was more Pepper than Moss. And so I went in again and I read for both of them. And like I said, I'm happy to do it, but it always feels like you really don't. It's okay. You won't hurt my feelings. And I actually talked to Jamie about it and I was like, what's the deal? And he's like, well, they're not sure. And he said, you know, you actually kind of changed their mind because they thought they wanted her this way and then they kind of liked what you did. So now they want to hear it again. And then, yay, I got it. And I was sitting in my agent's office and she came out and she chucked me on the shoulder and she went, ha, you're a wasp. I'm like, yes. I was so excited. It was so great. And to work with Wally Winger, who played my Aunt Man, was fantastic. And he is a comic book aficionado. So he schooled me on all of the stuff I needed to know about Wasp and Hank and Janet. It was great. And Fred Tapscher, oh my God, he is Hulk. So depending on the engineer, like they will assign you a stand in the recording room. So they almost always had me next to Fred, who plays the Hulk. And he always takes his shoes off. And he's a pretty big guy, but he takes up all the space because he's Hulk and he's doing the thing. And lots of times when you do voiceover, like you want it to be in your body. So I can't sit when I do voiceover. I gotta stand up. I gotta be able to move. So I'm sitting next to Fred and the stands are like maybe foot and a half apart. You're pretty close. You know, you're in close quarters. And Avengers big cast, so they squished all of us in there. But he's like, Hulk smash! And he's like waving his arms and I'm like ducking. I'm like, yeah! But I love that Hulk was sort of Wasp's mascot, like her pet sort of. She helped calm him down sometimes. My favorite episode on that was when we all hulked out. That was hilarious. I'm the only girl in the room most of the time doing Avengers. So here's me, <laughs> little compared to everybody, and I'm the little wasp, and everyone's got these big superhero voices, so everybody can hulk out because they're a room of guys that do all kinds of stuff. And I'm doing my hulky wasp voice, and I'm like, is that okay? And they're laughing their butts off behind the glass. Like, maybe we'll have to do something to it in post. I'm like, hey, doing my best. Really trying to be the Hulk. Come on, leave my Hulk. And now the last voice I want to talk about with you is Tails on Sonic Boom and the video games. How did you get to become Tails? So, again, with the process. Any cool story? People ask me sometimes about Kate Higgins. So, because she was Tails some of the games. I'm not sure exactly how many times she was. I had done Charmy the Bee on some of the games. And then they called me into audition for the show. At that point, I didn't know what all was coming. I didn't know what the show was going to be about. I didn't really know the video game beyond doing Charmy. I didn't even know who played what. So I'm sitting there at the callback and I'm auditioning for Tails and Sticks. And Sticks, they really weren't sure what they wanted. They knew they wanted something kind of out there, but they really weren't sure. And so the callbacks were really long because they were trying to figure out exactly what they wanted and what direction they wanted to take with these characters and incorporating this show and the new games and everything else. So I'm sitting there and Kate Higgins is sitting right next to me and she's there auditioning for Sticks. I said, oh, cool, you know, which one are you doing? And I told her I was doing Tails and Six, she was doing Six, and she said, I used to be Tails. 
I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, no, I was on the video games. And I said, hey, if this is your part, I'm out. I will just do the sticks thing and I am not about taking other people apart, for sure. I'm like, what happened? Whatever. She goes, don't even worry about it. I'm going to details at all. And it was what it was. And she already knew that they weren't going to use her. I don't know. Who knows why? But it was a really strange thing because now I have guilt. But I am so grateful for this part. I love him to pieces. The writing on the show is amazing. The people in the cast are hilarious. We laugh our pants off every time we get together. They are so much fun. The scripts are funny just to read them. And that's a feat in itself to read a script and be laughing out loud as you're reading it before you even get into the booth and hear what everybody else does to it, which makes it even more funny. Those moments with Travis and Roger, and it's just so, so, so much fun. So much fun. And now we didn't talk a lot about your video game work, and you've done a lot of video game work, you've done a lot of anime work, voiceover work. So what advice do you have for people who want to get into the industry? I would say totally go for it. Get yourself into an acting class, take improv, ask questions, listen to people's demos, put together a good demo, and it's so much easier to do these days. Everybody's got devices and computers and iPads and all kinds of fun things to do recordings. But listen to other people's demos. Go on to voicebank.net, go on to agency lists, and listen to the demos so you hear how they are put together. And then just start getting yourself out there. Put yourself on VoiceBank and, you know, go from there and then start targeting some agents. But I definitely recommend taking classes. And the biggest thing that I would say is think in terms of character, not in terms of I can do funny voices or I can make my voice do this. You have to think in terms of character. You have to think in terms of a well-rounded, even though it's drawn, it's a person who has thoughts and feelings, even if it's a cow or a dog. There's a way that that dog or cow says something. There's a way that that dog or cow would react to something saying what I really would say. So think in terms of character, not voice. And if you really want good advice, Erin Fitzgerald wrote a book and you can get it online. And she is a great friend of mine. She's amazing. And she wrote a book, 10 Things Voice Actor Would Tell You If They Were Me. And I've heard great reviews already. It's going really well. So get Erin's book. And now you were just at a Comic-Con. Typically at cons, what do people come up with you and request character-wise with you? This particular one, you know, a lot of people didn't realize that I had done all of the voices. They're like, wait a minute, you do Jazz and Tails and Wasp and Eno and Sora and Korahamaru? They were like kind of mind blown. They were just like, come on. They almost didn't believe me. But whenever I do Tails voice or Konohamaru, they're like, oh my God, you just made my day, which makes my day. That's like, wow, thanks. Rare thing for someone to make someone else's day without even meaning to. Like I would be like, catch you on the flip flop. They were just like, oh my God. Yeah, mostly Tails, mostly Sora. A lot of people come up and will say that it's their childhood. Like this one kid clutched his heart and went, Oh, you got me in my childhood! Because everything on my table reminded him of what he watched when he was growing up. And for everyone, like something on my table kind of spoke to them. It was Digimon, like, oh my gosh, I remember. I watched it all the time. Or like there were little kids that were just now starting to watch Digimon, which I was really surprised. I didn't think people were still digging it up. But they were, and, and Danny Phantom too. That's a big one that people remember, which is nice, you know, to be a part of somebody's growing up. And wow, like I don't consider myself a celebrity. Like that's a strange word for me because I'm not. I can walk down the street and nobody knows who I am. And my neighbors barely know who I am. But my daughter, 
she had to pick a favorite celebrity. She's like, I'm gonna pick you, mom. I'm like, well, sweetie, they don't really mean me. You know, it's, I'm not a celebrity. She goes, you are a celebrity. You've been to Comic-Con and people write you letters. You're a celebrity. I said, okay, well, whatever you wanna do. So then about a month ago, she came up to me. She goes, mom, I have proof that you're a celebrity. I'm like, well, really? She goes, you are on famousbirthdays.com. So I'm like, woo, I made it. I'm on famousbirthdays.com. It's a very strange job to have, but it's a ridiculously awesome job to have. And I'm so lucky to get to do what I do. Super lucky. And finally, do you have anything you would like to promote or that you're being made to promote? Facebook, Twitter? I have two new shows I wish I could talk about, but I'm sworn to secrecy. Let's just stick with Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, please follow me on Twitter, at VO Colleen. Follow me on Instagram. They strong-armed me onto Instagram over the weekend, so I'm now on Instagram. Got 50 followers! But follow me on Instagram. You can find me. I have a fan page on Facebook, Colleen O'Shaughnessy Voice Actor. So any new stuff that's coming up, I will absolutely post there. I just want to say before we go, everybody, that thank you for listening to this week's podcast. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and a bunch of other places where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can check out my website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to anime, comics, wrestling, and pop culture. As well as you can follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics for all updates regarding this podcast, as well as the website. And I hope to see you as a subscriber following me on this podcast, checking me out on Twitter, reading my website. Until next week, everybody. Have a wonderful week.